Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. I mean, just like so many things in our society today, how low does the bar have to go before it becomes, oh, that's acceptable or that's tolerated? Because as, as I've said throughout our entire process, it takes a lot of courage to speak up and to speak out, especially ruffling feathers of many. It takes a lot of courage to do that, but it takes absolutely no courage at all to do nothing. And that's what PRSA leadership has done. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Mary Beth West, Senior Strategist of Fletcher Marketing PR in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I am standing in today for CEO Kelly Fletcher, who is on a well-deserved leave right now, but certainly sends us her regards. I am joined in studio today by a very good friend and colleague who has been a partner with me in a long-running ethics journey within our domestic U.S. Public Relations Trade Association the Public Relations Society of America, PRSA. And just by happenstance, we were in studio recording some other sessions and Susan Hart was coming into town. We're actually making a trip down south to Atlanta to see a mutual colleague, Dwayne Summer, a past national president of PRSA and a dear friend of ours. And it's just through this sort of happenstance of her being in town and us being in studio to record that I've asked Susan to join us to talk about the state of ethics in our industry and really in ramp up to PR Ethics Month that is throughout the month of September. So this podcast is airing right at the kickoff of that. And I'd like to just by way of introduction of Susan, uh, Susan and I worked together some 25-ish years ago in Nashville. Uh, Susan was vice president of communications and she hired me to be director of community relations with her team. And this was in my very formative years within the industry. I was only a couple of years out of college myself and through my relationship with Susan, I learned so much about the values within our profession and how to apply those values. Susan was a guest, you may recall, just recently on Misinterpreted with Kelly Fletcher and with Frances Ingham, who oversees the PRCA, the Public Relations and Communications Association in the UK. And it meant a lot to me that they came together to have some very substantive conversations about the global state of ethics. But for this particular little opportunity for Susan and me to talk, I wanted us to maybe recap a little bit about our journey and just talk about where we've been together in our observations of where the PR profession domestically is with on the state of ethics and and all of that. So just to kick off the conversation and without mentioning any individual's name, Susan, what are some of the biggest takeaways on the state of PR ethics that you've gathered throughout our journey together? Yes, and it is good to be here again. So thank you for having me, although it's an impromptu interview. I'm happy to do it. I would say some of the key takeaways include one word accountability when you and i started our entire journey we were a bit less interested in codes of ethics and specific words used and what was on paper and adherence we were more interested in accountability on the part of leadership to follow and set the example for members 
on what is ethical and not ethical conduct in a leadership capacity. So when I think of ethics, I think of accountability, accountability for one's decisions, one's behaviors, one's words. And and that is the component, I think, that has been most overlooked in recent years is holding one accountable for the right reasons as opposed to taking the path of least resistance, which brings me to my second takeaway that I have observed that a lot of times it's just more convenient it's less combative, it's uh, less controversial for people to just take the path of least resistance when it comes to holding their peers accountable for their leadership decisions and actions. Right. Well, and I think that you've said it many times that PRSA played a major positive role in your career development, certainly did in mine. I mean, Mm -hmm. a wonderfully positive role throughout my formative years. I started out as a PRSSA student, was in national leadership with that organization, later on the national board with PRSA, and you had been president of the PRSA Nashville chapter, and and you encouraged my involvement throughout you know, all of those early years when we were working together, some of the, without kind of getting into a whole lot of the episodic details of what has occurred in PRSA, I do take your point well that the accountability factor and what we've encountered with some in PRSA leadership making decisions that we felt and we expressed were counter to our ethical value system, not only for PRSA, but just as an industry. And then initially some leaders acknowledging that some unethical issues had in fact been faced, but then not holding accountable one another in leadership to ensure that those things wouldn't happen again. What we have now encountered is a slippery slope, I think, for PRSA. that They are in a very interesting posture right now with declining revenues, declining memberships. I know that in PRSSA, for example, the, you know, a student organization that I've held dear, membership is almost just half of what it was even six or seven years ago. And so a lot of this has translated to the students seeing for themselves and feeling like there's not a lot of credibility with the organization as it once had. So, you know, with that said, what advice would you give to someone who's considering PRSA membership or being part of PRSA national leadership? Just helping them to know a little bit of what we know and what would you recommend to them to consider? I would recommend due diligence. I would recommend due diligence for anyone gravitating toward an organization. And I think as human beings, we gravitate toward organizations that have missions that are in agreement with our values systems. And as you mentioned, for decades PRSA and I were in agreement on, you know, what was ethical and what was not ethical conduct. And years and years ago, there were no questions. It was a black and white kind of issue. And certainly we we now fall into a lot of gray areas. However, the principles of honesty and transparency and fairness and mutual respect, those principles are timeless. So when someone is evaluating membership or affiliation with PRSA or any organization, I would advise them to conduct due diligence. And yes, that means going on the Internet. Yes, that means researching pro reviews, con reviews. People are making a financial investment 
in an organization. And if that organization does not reflect their value system, they're just throwing away their money. Right, right. And to that point, I think that just following the money a little bit in PRSA has been an interesting exercise for me. And to your point about due diligence, I think that that really is essential. In December of 2018, you and I, just on the heels of having tried to pursue ethics-driven bylaw reforms in PRSA, which ended up being a failed effort amid just a very contentious process and with our attempts being stymied and obstructed in so many ways by leadership, you decided to discontinue your membership in PRSA after, what, about a 35-year career and years of volunteer leadership that you had invested in the organization. Tell me about your decision to do that and what prompted it. At that time, I was newly retired. So I was kind of in this crossroads of, you know, do I want to continue to invest in my industry, which up until that time I had. In other words, when not working, I was still very active, more on a national level in PRSA, specifically in their College of Fellows, of which I I served in a leadership capacity. So I'm at this kind of crossroads. And then we had undergone what I would consider no less than one of the most stressful experiences of my life, one of the most discouraging, disheartening, disappointing, I guess would be the biggest word, that disappointing experiences of my life in the the situation of we were told one thing and then tables were turned and leadership took a very adamant opposition to our ethics reforms. So my decision was based on what did I want to do based upon my history with PRSA. And candidly, I did not want to receive in my inbox or or whatever daily communications. I didn't want to have daily messaging to me that I knew to be wrong, false, and primarily incompetent. Right. Well, and I think that speaks toward the fact that we are in an industry crisis of, I think, externally and internally, we have to be advising our managements for whatever organizations we work for or that we advise to make sure that there is not a say-do disconnect, that you're not saying one thing or espousing values out of one side of your mouth, but secretly when no one is looking or watching or listening or seeing what's actually taking place, advocating for a policy or a practice out of the other side. And having that disconnect is the greatest credibility, I guess credibility buster is the best way to describe it. I mean, it diminishes that and it harms trust and it harms relationships permanently. And so it sounds like that's what you're speaking to is that you knew that a lot of the messaging that was coming forward from an organization you had spent years trusting was just not authentic. Exactly. I know that you and I had many conversations and in a parody type of way, we would often call our situation Operation XYZ or whatever. And when we were proposing our bylaw proposals, I want to recall that a common descriptive by you was Operation Obstructionism. And I would always counter with Operation Incompetence. And I say that because While PRSA as a whole, as an organization, is not transparent in the areas that it should be, 
For instance, years ago, they used to issue quarterly financial statements to members on a member-secure basis. We knew what financially was going on. That stopped a few years ago. But in our experience, PRSA leadership was extremely transparent in a negative way about what they were doing in the sense of, gosh, just when you think that they could not do something more irrational or more ill-advised, they would do that. So their strategy was very transparent. If you could count on whatever was the wrong thing to do from a public relations strategy, they would do that. So that's why I continually refer to that experience as operation incompetence. And that's not an organization that students and practitioners want to be affiliated with, hence their due diligence. Right. Well, and too, at the chapter level and the local levels, um, I continue to think that PRSA does a lot of good work for people and for those in our industry. And, you know, this is no slight on the local level of the organization, but yeah, at the national level, it's been a really difficult thing to watch and to see unfold because just of the implications that mm-hmm. it has. You can't have local level chapters if the national level organization is falling apart, whether it's financially, whether it's from the standpoint of a leadership culture that is so ingrained with certain practices that are just not sustainable. I guess on a final point, you had engaged a bit with Vanderbilt University to tap into some of their research resources, but you had researched some areas of human behavior and what drives human behavior in these types of decision-making processes. What have you learned? One thing I would say is that one of the greatest assets, talents, qualifications for any competent public relations practitioner is curiosity. You cannot have enough curiosity. When you ask questions, you want to ask more questions because you want all of that information so you can make well-informed decisions to recommend to your clients. So my interest in the human behavioral aspect of that basically was based on why do people make the decisions that they make? specifically as related to moral conduct and virtues and values and ethics. So I began studying along with some ethicists at Vanderbilt University, medical ethicists, varying different ethicists in different kinds of industries to learn more about why we do what we do when we do it. And I found it fascinating, just as a one tidbit, when we are born, infants, newborns, pre-toddlers, they're generally good human beings. They, they may not be able to communicate in speech or anything like that, but if they see their sibling about to fall down the stairs, they're going to go help them. So it's kind of an innate values system already built. But as adults, we are responsible and once again should be held accountable for those decisions based upon what's ethical and what's not. And when it's not ethical, then we need to take a stand. Right. And taking the stand sometimes is the hardest part when there is club culture or, I guess, facilitating cultures within an organization that tend to give a free pass to behavior. And it becomes a snowball, right? It's like one thing. It's a slippery slope and a snowball that it it becomes one thing leads to another leads to another until suddenly you are dealing with this gargantuan deal-breaking kind of issue. Right, right. I mean, just like so many things in our society today, how low does the bar have to go? 
before it becomes, oh, that's acceptable or that's tolerated. Because as, as I've said throughout our entire process, it takes a lot of courage to speak up and to speak out, especially ruffling feathers of many. It takes a lot of courage to do that, but it takes absolutely no courage at all to do nothing. And that's what PRSA leadership has done. Well, on that note, Susan, you've given us some really great insights about what the industry at least needs to be thinking about as we go into Ethics Month for September of 2021. And it's my hope, and I'm sure it's your hope as well, that this can help spur some additional conversations. And I I think I go back to that adage of everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but they're not entitled to their own set of facts. And so find out the facts, listeners. If you're looking at some of these issues from the vantage point of either being a PRSA member, a PRSSA student, learn the facts at hand. We do operate a Facebook group, Susan and I do, and it is called A Better PRSA, hashtag A Better PRSA. And so we invite you to become part of that community where we document the issues that we feel are important. We would love for PRSA to make an organizational turnaround, a cultural turnaround. Not sure if that's ever going to happen. But if you would like to join the call for others to take that under advisement, we invite you to to join us in that. So, Susan, thanks so much for joining us today. And to our listeners, thank you for supporting the Misinterpreted podcast by Fletcher Marketing PR. You can connect with Susan Hart on LinkedIn as well as on Twitter. You can follow us at Twitter handle Fletcher PR. Please follow Kelly Fletcher at Twitter handle KD Fletcher and me at Twitter handle Mary Beth West. A quick reminder as well that you can follow the Ethics Month hashtag at PR Ethics. A special thanks too to our sound engineer, Chris Hill with Knoxville based HumblePod. Everybody, thanks for tuning in and until next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time 